he's good. And I'm here to share with you that he's so good. And so that's what I hear. He's the one that's my sufficiency, and he's the one um, that has called me to this. And so I'm depending on him. And thank you for that introduction, sister. Praise the Lord. Um, we know from God's word in Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2, um, that God searches us and he knows us. Uh, we've been learning that um, the Bible says that God knows our past, he knows our present, he knows our future. Um, it tells us that God knows every single hair on our head. And for some of us, that's a big number. <laughs> and for some of us, it's a smaller number. And as women, that changes. So he's got to keep track of it all. He's an amazing God. <laughs> and he knows that about us. So he knows our present, our current situation. Um, Jeremiah 1.5 says, He knew us before we were born. Um, his exact words are, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Um, and the concept is that he knows us before. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So he knows our past, he knows our future, he knows our current state. Um, and then his word also says in Ezekiel eleven five, For I know the thoughts that come into your mind, every one of them. I don't know about you, but for me that's a scary thought. It's scary to think that the holy God of the universe knows the thoughts that come into our minds, in my mind. I know I'm okay with him knowing when I help the old lady cross the street. And I'm okay with him knowing when I do something kind for my neighbor or donate to a cause. And I'm okay with those thoughts when I'm thoughtful or compassionate or considerate. But what about the ugly thoughts? The inappropriate, the evil, the mean, the hateful thoughts that cross our mind. He knows those too. He knows us, ladies, sisters, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he wants us to know him. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, God is speaking, and he says to us, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands me and knows me. See, he knows we're going to boast. But it tells us not to boast with what we know, or what we have, or what we can do, because that's our inclination. We want to boast about the things we can do or, or have, but he tells us to boast in knowing him. Today in this group, there's two groups of ladies. There's a group of you who know God already, and, those, and there's another group of women who do not know God. There is good news today, because if you don't know him, he wants you to know him. But there's a problem. It's a big problem. It's like a big obstacle or a roadblock in the way that keeps you from having a relationship with God. Every person in this room and every person in the world, both now and in the past, has been in this group. And they have this problem. The problem is sin. And it keeps us from having a relationship with God. Sin is everything we do that's an offense to God. The Bible says we all sin, and we all fall short of God's glory. The Bible says that sin needs to be punished because God is a good, just God. So Jesus offers a solution to our sin problem. He came and he took our punishment. Jesus took our punishment by dying on the cross and raising on the third day. If Jesus had not done this, if Jesus had not done this, we could not have a relationship with him. And it would be impossible to know him. He didn't 
have to do this, but he did it because he loves us and wants a relationship with us. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that you know the only true God. Wow. To me, this seems like a pretty sweet deal. You mean he takes our punishment, the bad, and in exchange, he gives us good, he gives us life eternal, and the ability to know him. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. <coughs> all right, ladies, he's done this for all of us. He's done this for the world. And the difference between those of us that have a relationship with him and those that don't is what they do with this very information. John 1.12 says, But as many as believed him and accepted him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Believed and accepted him, then that's when the right comes, to be his child. Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook, we can see people's profiles and what they choose to put on their page. These things can be seen by many people. Most people choose to put their best foot forward and only post filtered pictures, edited posts, inspiring videos, and God-honoring links. Others use Facebook as a place to vent and rant and say things with a high shock value or to debate and insult others, either directly or indirectly. If you're at all familiar with Facebook, you know exactly what I mean. On Facebook, you have friends or people that you follow, and this relationship happens when one person requests the other's friendship. And there has to be an acceptance or denial of that friendship. I admit, I have denied people's friendship on Facebook based on some of the content of their profile on their page. I thank God he's not like me. The thing about God is that he sees our unedited thoughts and our unfiltered attitudes, and they don't deter him or make him not want to have anything to do with us. Instead, they did the opposite. They caused him to come to earth and take our punishment. He asked for your friendship. He sees it all, and he's still requesting your friendship. And like on Facebook, you can either accept him or deny him. The question is, will you accept him so you can begin to know him? Because that's when it starts. And for those of us that are already know God, he wants you to know him more. See, the beautiful thing about God is that he is infinite, and we cannot fully understand him. We could know, never know everything there is to know about him, and we will never know too much about him. And we will never run out of things to learn about him, either. If we could completely understand him with our limited minds, then he wouldn't be that great. But he is, so we can. God makes himself known through his word. The Bible is like a love letter from God so that we can read it and know about his purpose and plan for us, to know what he thinks about us and what he's done for us, and know his character, who he is and what he's like. Once we know him, it's now our responsibility or call to make him known to others. There's a quote that says, Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people read. We carry the responsibility to live out the very faith that is required to know God. People are watching how we live. Let's be careful to represent our Lord well. One of the most important things Christians can do, it's one of our greatest sources of power, and I think most of us would say we don't do it as much as we should. So I'm not here to give you reasons why you need to pray, because I think life in a fallen world does a good job of that. The hardships of life and the things that are out of our control, like 
illnesses and, and financial issues and losses of life, those are things that draw us to prayer. For me, five years ago was a time in my life when I felt utterly helpless and like I had no control over my circumstances. Yet, this is a time in my life where I can honestly say that I felt God's presence so near to me. I felt a peace that surpasses understanding, and I knew I wasn't alone. See, I was really sick, I was fatigued, and my joints ached, and I had no answers. I remember going to the doctor, and they checked me for multiple things, including autoimmune diseases that could cripple me, because of course I web and eat it, and uh, these things could cripple me, debilitate me, or even take my life. And here I am, a woman in my 20s, two young children, and that thought was a very scary thought for me. I remember being very scared, but I found my comfort in God through his word. I vividly remember praying Psalm 34, verse 4, and meditating on it. It says, I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. Jesus did this for me, guys. He delivered me from my fears. It didn't make sense that I was in my 20s waiting on results of blood tests, CT scans, MRIs, um, biopsies. My husband was unemployed at this time. We were losing our new home. I had two children, and then I had a peace in the midst of that. It doesn't make sense, but I did. Praise the Lord, I only had one episode of an autoimmune disease, and my body has been healthy ever since that big scare. I would not change anything about this time in my life. I would not change anything about this time in my life because from it, I was able to experience God in a very personal way. Amen. Prayer is a privilege given to God's children. I've heard people say they don't know how to pray. I say, if you can talk, you can pray. <laughs> prayer is talking to God. Jesus tells us it's not about fancy words. In Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There's no exact recipe for prayer, but I believe there are ingredients that should be included in prayer. It should always be personal and relational. It should be reverent. It should be dependent. Prayer is for us, not for God. It helps keep us and align our thoughts and hearts with His will and His heart. Matthew verses, chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus gives a guidance for prayer, and it's by no means meant to be the way we have to pray. He addresses God as Father because prayers God, prayer to God is personal. Once we accept his offer for a relationship, we become his child and he becomes our Father. Prayer is reverent. When we pray to God, we should remember that although he's our Father, he is holy, almighty, majestic, and worthy of praise. Praise unto God is acknowledging his character and who he is. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus, Jesus acknowledges that God is holy. And when we pray, we can acknowledge other attributes of God. And there are so many. We can talk about his goodness, and we can talk about his faithfulness, and his power, his wisdom, and his worthiness, his beauty, just to name a few. Scripture is flooded with attributes and characteristics of God. The Psalms is a great place to learn these. The songs are prayers and songs to God. When we see him as he is, we are drawn to worship him and be filled with thanksgiving. Our prayers should include our gratitude for who God is and what he has done. And prayer should be dependent with a sense of desperation, like we need him because we do. 
Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, th my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. One of the core values at the brook is thirsty prayer. When we pray, we talk to God like a thirsty woman in the desert. In search of water, expressing our needs, our thankful hearts, our burdens, and our longings for God. It's in our dependence that we make our requests known to God, knowing we need his help, and he's able to help us. If you were at a restaurant, I like restaurants, can you tell? <laughs> and there was an issue with your service, it would do you no good to go to the janitor with your, with your issue. You would take it to the manager, because he can actually do something about it. In life, we offer, we often take our problems to things that can't help us mm -hmm. instead of to the Father who can and wants to help us. <laughs> In our dependence, we ask God for forgiveness and we repent. Acts 26.20 declares, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. The full biblical definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. We know that unconfessed sin and unforgiveness can cause our prayers to be hindered. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I cherish iniquity, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord doesn't listen, would not have listened. And lastly, prayer should include surrender to God as well and His ways. Surrender is to say that you're okay with whatever He chooses to do. That even if He doesn't answer your prayer, you still trust that He has your best interest in mind. We can only see what's in front of us, and we're very nearsighted. But there's a God who made us, who sees our future and our past, and He knows what's best for us. So we can trust Him because He's good, and His ways are good. Right. Bible says His ways are not our ways. So sometimes things happen where it doesn't seem like it's good, but at the end of the day, we have to trust His character that what He's doing is going to be best for us in the long run. So our idea of what's best can be different than his idea. I love the story in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, just kidding. Abednego. <laughs> they were young men who understood this idea very well. They were commanded to worship idols, and they refused. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered in verse 17 of Daniel 3, If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they know God is able to deliver them. They're acknowledging his power and his ability to deliver them from the hand of the king and of the fire furnace. And then they say, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your gods. Because they know that he's the one true God. They were set on worshiping God regardless of the outcome. D.L. Moody says, Spread out your petition before God, and then say, Thy will, not mine, be done. The sweetest lesson I have learned in God's school is to let the Lord choose for me. Mm -hmm. When we receive the Lord Jesus, this is the point of initial surrender. Nancy Lee Moss, in her book titled Surrender, which we had there, I'm not sure if it's there anymore, for sale, says that the initial surrender to Christ, which we often refer to as a point of salvation, it's the, it's the day where we acknowledge that we want Jesus as our Savior. It requires surrendering of our ways to His ways. This is what she refers to as the initial point of surrender. 
It's not the end of the story, though. In fact, it's really only the starting place. Having surrendered our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior, we must now learn what it means to live out a surrendered life. To continually say no to myself and my desires, and yes to His will and His ways. One of the challenges to complete surrender to Christ is that we don't know what lies ahead. Some of us might be more inclined to surrender if God would hand us a contract with all the details filled in. I mean, easy. We would like to know what to expect. What will this cost me? Where are you going to send me, God? Um, who does this involve? What are you going to ask me to do? We want to see all the fine print so we can read it over, we can think about it, mull it over, and then we'll decide whether we're going to sign our name on the dotted line. But that's not God's way. God says instead, this is what he says, says, here's a blank piece of paper, ladies. I want you to sign your name on the bottom line. Now hand it back to me and let me fill in the details. Why? Because I'm God, he says. Why? Because I have bought you. Why? Because I'm trustworthy. Why? Because you know how much I love you. Why? Because you live for my glory and not your own independent glory. <coughs> it is in his will that we are the safest. In a moment, I'm going to be handing out a blank piece of paper, ladies, and I want you to prayerfully consider whether you're going to sign it over and hand it over to God and let him fill in the details of your life. This is a symbol of surrender. You're signing this and you're saying, I trust you, God, that your life, that my life is safest and best when it's in your hands because you made me know everything about me. Once you review it and sign it, take some time to pray. You can write in your journal and just reflect on what God has taught you. Or you can just talk to him. But that adjourns my time, ladies. I pray that you are as blessed as I have been in sharing this. We serve a good God who is worthy of praise, whom we can trust because he's in control of all things. Thank you.